we pray. We declare in Jesus' name. Amen. I got uh, I started doing two things in my mind. All right. Matthew 3, 1 through 8. In those days, John the Baptist, let me give, before I get started, let me give credit to, uh, I've been reading uh, for the last few years, a guy by the name of Rick Renner, Spiritual Gems from the Greek, and uh, much of this comes from that, and um, I'd like for you to think, it'd be nice if y'all thought that I did everything on my own, but I get taught by people as well, and so, but the Lord spoke this to me, it was, it was encouraging, it was informative, and I felt like I wanted to share it with you. So Matthew 3, 1 through 8. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. By the way, a locust is not those things that buzz. There's a fruit in the desert, also known as a locust as well. So then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And the title of this message is Repentance. So just as a little bit of background, uh, in a survey that was done, people who regularly attend church were asked to, to, set, to articulate what the word repentance meant to them. The survey resulted in an interesting assortment of answers. The majority of those who did the survey stated that they believed the word repentance meant one or more of the following. One, to feel sorry about something I did or failed to do. Two, to feel remorseful about some act and ask God's forgiveness for it. Three, to walk forward in a service to formally ask Jesus into your heart. Now, although these, these answers are interesting, uh, none of them is correct. What's most shocking is that this survey was given to people who don't just say they're Christians, but who say they regularly attend church, yet they could not uh, uh, articulate accurately what the word repent actually means. So that being in mind, let's dive into this a little bit. First point we want to look at is repentance and the gospel. The word repent is a very important New Testament word and is very important uh, when we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the New Testament, as we read in our text, we're told that John the Baptist came preaching and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's ministry was literally launched with that one word, repent. According to the preaching of John the Baptist, the only way to enter into the kingdom of heaven was through repentance. Jesus, too, when he began his public ministry after John was taken off the scene, he beckoned his listeners to repent. In fact, it says in Matthew 4, 12 through 17, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So like John the Baptist, Jesus knew the only way to enter the kingdom of God was through repentance. Then, after Jesus, 
was taken up. In the book of Acts, we read that Peter launched his preaching ministry on the day of Pentecost with the same requirement of repentance. Just as John the Baptist and Jesus had called on men to repent, so Peter preached on that day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 37-38. Uh, he had preached the message on what had happened. The people that heard him, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter understood that repentance is in some way the birth canal through which the people uh, uh, that are given their lives to Christ enter into the kingdom of God. In other, ways, in other words, it's the only way to truly be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and to emerge spiritually reborn and filled with the God kind of life and enter into the kingdom of God. So, repentance in the gospel was the first thing we want to look at. Second thing I want to look at today is that remorse is not repentance. Remorse is not repentance. In Matthew 27, 3 through 5, there was a guy by the name of Judas who betrayed Jesus. The Bible says in verse 3, Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. He threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, departed, and went and hanged himself. So real repentance, as we're going to see, is very different from remorse. Yet feelings of remorse for a past action was one of the most frequent definitions given by people who participated in that church survey. In the text we just read, it says Judas, being, uh, when he found out that Jesus was condemned, was remorseful. Now, this, this text in the New King James Version says remorseful. In other versions, it says he changed his mind. Now, the reason I chose the New King James Version because remorseful is really the better translation in this particular scenario according to that word that they used in the Greek to bring that uh, uh, understanding forth into the English. In this verse, the Greek word for remorse is the word metamelamai. Do we have that up there? Metamelamai. <laughs> All right, metamelamai. And the word metamelamai is very different from the Greek word repent, which is the word metanoeo. You don't have to know that right now, but it's the word metanoeo, okay? So metamelamai expresses sorrow, mourning, or grief. This is the Greek word where it's talking about Judas felt remorseful. It seldom refers to someone moved to change. Rather, it gives a picture of a person consumed with remorse, guilt, or regret. As we see above, the word metamelamai is used in the Gospels to describe the remorse, guilt, and regret that seized the heart and mind of Judas Iscariot after he betrayed Jesus. What Judas experienced was not true repentance. It was a true repentance because true repentance brings personal change and transformation, and there was no personal change and transformation in Judas's life. Because the Greek word translated remorseful, metamelamai, is used to describe the emotions that captured him, it tells us that Judas was inundated with distressed, regretful emotions. Such sorrow should not be confused with repentance. 
For there are many who undergo a flood of regret and sorrow for something they have done, yet they don't truly repent. You can feel regret. Now the word regret is actually something else we're not going to bring out today. But regret is feeling sorry for something you lost. Sor uh, uh, sorrow is being overwhelmed by the emotions for something you did. But none of those translate into repentance. They can be the beginning of repentance, but in and of themselves, they are not repentance. Personal change and transformation, not remorse, regret, and sorrow, are the true proof or fruits of repentance. Personal change and transformation. So to repeat, even though the word used for Judas's sorrow in some versions is translated changed his mind, a better way to convey the word is remorse, which is completely different from repentance, which also can be translated to change your mind. So what is repentance? That's our third point. Matthew 4, 17, again, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent that was used by John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter, now we'll go back to that Greek word, is the Greek word metanoeo. This is very different from the word metamelomai, which is better understood as remorse. The word metanoeo, which means repent, means a change of mind. It means repentance or conversion. In Old Testament and classical Greek language, it first and foremost meant a change of mind. Thus, the use of metanoeo is the call to turn or to change your attitudes, your ways of thinking, to change your life. As used in the New Testament, when you talk about repentance, repentance demands a complete, radical, and total change. It is a decision, not just an emotional decision, it is a decision of your mind it is it involves your emotions it can involve your emotions but more importantly it involves your way of thinking it is a decision to completely change or entirely turn away or turn around in the way that you are thinking believing or living the word repent in the new testament gives the image of a person changing from top to bottom a total transformation wholly affecting every part of a person's life the Greek word metanoeo, I want to break that down just a little bit more. I hope I'm not confusing you because I want you to understand and get the full picture of what we're talking about. The word metanoeo means repent, but that word is made up of two different words, right? It's made up of the word meta, and it's made up of the word noose. The word meta means to turn or to change, and the word noose is the word for the mind, the intellect, the will, th the frame of thinking, opinion, or a general view of life. When the words are compounded or put together, as in the word repent, it pictures a decision to completely change the way one thinks, lives, or behaves. Thus the word reflects a turn, a change, a change of direction, a new course, a completely altered view of life and behavior. This is not the same as fleeting sorrow for past actions, but a solid intellectual decision to take a new direction, to turn about face, and to revise the course or the pattern of your life. 
Okay, let me give you an example. All right. So, have you ever had a hang around somebody that is addicted to something? Okay. So, um, when they're in the middle of what they're doing, uh, they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to talk to you. They just want to do what they're doing. Kind of like the prodigal son. Prodigal son says, give me my inheritance. I don't care how bad it hurts you that I'm asking that, in a sense, that you would already be dead. I don't care how much it's going to hurt you that I'm taking the money that I believe is mine anyway. Most addicts believe your money is theirs. You hearing what I'm saying? That that's why they do what they do. And then they go off and they spend everything they have to do what they do. Whether it's drinking, coke, uh, uh, you know, some kind of sexual, they spend it all. And then they end up in a terrible place. And when they end up in the terrible place, most of the time they're remorseful. What are they remorseful for? They feel bad, they feel regret, they feel remorse. Not so much that, uh, you know, uh, to the point where they want to change their life, but most of all about that they can't do what they want to do anymore. That maybe in the middle of what they did, they might have hurt somebody, but they might think at that particular moment, I really should change, but they're not looking to change. That's remorse or regret, but not repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is like the prodigal son who found himself in that position, and when he found himself in that position, he said, man, in my father's house, at least the servants have something to eat way better than what I'm doing here. I'm starving. I'm in another place. And he made the decision that I'm going to go back home. It was a mental choice, it was a mental decision, and he said things are better back in my father's house, and he made the decision, I'm going to leave what I'm doing, and as difficult as it is, as hard as it's going to be, I'm going to go back home. And then he took the steps and began to walk home. That is repentance. How do you know he repented? Because he got back home. The fruit of repentance is where he ended up. He got back home. If he didn't take the steps to go back home, if he just felt bad, if he just didn't like his circumstances, if he just wished he could change, if he just thought about how good things were back home, but he never made the decision to go home and never started on that way back home, it's not repentance. It's regret and sorrow. But what we're talking about is we're talking about repentance. The importance in that word metanoeo, the importance of the word noose, which, is trans, which, which means mind, contain in the, is, I must, I've got to point it out, is the importance that word contains in this definition of repentance. The word noose is the Greek word for mind, and it means the decision to repent lies in the mind, not in the emotions. Emotions can accompany repentance, but they're not required to repent. You can repent and never feel like you've done something. Listen, there are people that'll come up to the front. Well, I'm just talking about in church service. Many of y'all know. They, oh, man, they're crying. They're sobbing. Oh, it's so, oh, whatever the case may be. They come up to the front, and man, they, you pray for them, and they get so happy. They're excited. They're joyful. They leave here, and they're back in the squalor one more time. Right? But I thought they repented. They were sorrowful. They were grieving. They were crying. Whatever the case may be. Well, I don't know their heart, but I do know that the fruit was not repentance. 
And then some people will be in a service and they express no sorrow, no weeping, no tears, but they make a decision, this is what they need. They come up to the front, you pray for them, it doesn't look like anything happened, but when they go on their way, you can tell because their life is radically different. Now those are extremes. Usually repentance is somewhere in the middle. You got a lot of snot. And you got a lot of repentance. You got a lot of, I'm not going to do that. Usually it's somewhere in the middle. But you can have absolutely no emotions and repent and get touched by the, by the Spirit of God because it's not about your emotions. Emotions aren't a bad thing, but your emotions can lie to you. What it is, it's about making a mental decision that I need Jesus in my life and then putting your faith and trust in God, whether you feel like it or not, you're saying, I'm going to do this. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Real repentance is a mental choice to leave a life of sin, flesh, and selfishness and to turn toward God with all of one's heart and mind in order to follow Jesus. A prime example of such a turning can be seen in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian believers. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-10, it says, And you, talking to the Thessalonians, became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so we don't need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what matter of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, who He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what's going on here? Uh, this iPod is... This I, there it goes. The word turn in this verse means to be completely turned around. Paul said the believers in this text turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Now sometimes you'll have people that will, uh, it seems like they're turning from idols to God, but really what they're doing is they're bringing God into their pantheon of gods who they serve. So they're going to serve God and they're going to serve their idols. Right? Yeah, I want God in my life, but I'm not going to get rid of uh, my other God, which is mammon. I'm not going to get rid of my other God, which is me. But I want God in my life, but I'm still the true God of my life. Right? You say, well, nobody says that. It's not a matter of what they say. It's a matter of how you live. Right? Uh, the key is to turn from your idols, and sometimes the biggest idol that we have, that we worship, is the idol of independence. What I want, what I want to do, my will, my desire. Okay, I'll serve God, but I'm going to do it my way. No preacher, nobody's going to tell me. I don't have to give if I don't want to. I don't have to do this if I don't want to. And you're absolutely correct. You don't have to do that. But it's not because uh, uh, you know, that, that you're right. It's because you're choosing to, 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 to go that way, and you're choosing to follow your own independent way of thinking. But it's not about whether I think you should do it or not. It's about what does the Word of God say, and if I'm truly following God, I'm going to heed what He says, I'm going to hear what He says, and heed what He says, and do what He says, no matter what is going on in my life, because He is Lord. And so I have to leave that idol of independence, I have to leave that idol that I sit on the throne of my own life, and I have to let God sit on the throne of my life. 
In this particular text, they left their idols behind. They didn't just claim to have repentance. They showed it by changing the way they thought and lived and served. Their radically different outward behavior was proof that real repentance had occurred. Not only did the people, not only did Paul hear about it, but he heard that other people in the region were telling him, have you noticed the change that took place in that city of Thessalonica? Have you noticed that those people that you went and preached to, they stopped serving idols, but not only that, they're telling the whole region about Jesus. I think it was Thessalonica that Paul only spent three weeks there. He spent three weeks in the city of Thessalonica. But apparently the gospel really hit home and it was the, the true gospel. They embraced the true gospel, they should say, because they didn't just hear and say, sure, yeah, we'll do this too. They, they turned their whole life around and began to serve God. Repentance is not the mere acceptance of a new philosophy or a new idea. It is a conversion to truth so deep that it results in a total life change. When you get saved, it's not so much that you're asking Jesus into your life. Listen to what I'm saying. I believe that semantics here are very important. I'm not saying if you ask Jesus in your, in your life, you did something wrong. But the true understanding of what it means to get saved is not Jesus comes into your life, but your life goes into His. It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me it's not my it's not god in me i mean me and god is god in me are you hearing what i'm saying right and so uh, uh when one of the things that we try to do and we want to be more faithful to do this is when you get give your life to god you're giving your life to God so that God can sit on the throne of your life. But in order to do that, you, are, you need to understand you are renouncing the kingdom of darkness in which you are presently in if you are not living for God. And you are embracing the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. And you are asking God to sit on the throne of your life. Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means to deny your right to self-rule. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So repentance is not the mere acceptance of a new philosophy or a new idea. It is a conversion to truth so deep that it results in a total life change. It's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. So many Christians get saved. I'm talking about Christians. You get saved, but because you don't understand, you continue to think, it's about me. So many church, so many churches have split because Christians uh, uh, who got saved never understood that it's not about you. How many churches have split because one faction wants blue chairs and the other one wants brown? I want what I want. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not about self-interest. It's not about your desire. It's about Him and His desire. It's about loving Him, serving Him, doing what He wants. And guess what? If you're going to serve Him and love Him, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow after me. 
what's the, 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 a lot of things going around in church today is, well, you know, I'm a Christian, and I don't care what the church says. I can drink if I want to. You're correct. You can drink if I want to, if you want to. I can smoke if I want to. You're correct. You can smoke if you want to. That's free will, right? Now, the problem with that is not so much that it's wrong, although I can show you places in the Bible where God says that's not the best thing for you to do, right? Uh, there's no place in the Bible where it says thou shalt not smoke. doesn't say that. But the problem that has been happening in the body of Christ and the reason people keep thinking that way is because they're thinking immaturely. They're thinking along the lines of, I can do whatever I want. And you're right. You can do whatever you want. It's my life. I'll live it the way I want to. And you're right. It is your life. You live it the way you want to. But what you begin to realize as you mature, even just in the natural as parents, is that your decisions affect your kids. And you begin to realize that if I want the benefit for my children, I'm going to have to say no to some things. Before, I'm just using this as an example, before I got saved, you know, and, and things began to change in my life, maybe I had hobbies that would cost me thousands and thousands of dollars a year. I like to buy guns. I like to go fishing. And there's nothing wrong with these. These are fine. And if you have the money to do it, that's fine. But if you have a new wife and you have children coming along the way and you still have the same amount of paycheck, something's going to have to give. Either you're going to have to stop buying so many guns or your kid's going to eat. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, I don't like that. <laughs> My kids, uh, when they, they're older now, they're, they're, they're both adults, and the biggest struggle they had is that they wanted to be independent, but they wanted to do it on my wife and I's dime. Well, you're going to have to pay for your own phone now. What? 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 Welcome to adulthood. You're going to have to pay for your own insurance now. What? 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 Welcome to adulthood. You're going to have to pay for your own rent. What? Welcome to adulthood. I've got all this money coming in, but it's all going out. Welcome to adulthood. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then a deceiver comes along by the name of Visa. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? So, if there... Okay, so repentance is not the mere acceptance of a new philosophy or a new idea. It is a conversion to truth so deep that it results in a total life change. The idea of an across-the-board transformation is intrinsic to the word repent. In fact, if there is no transformation, change or of behavior or change of desire in a person who claims to have repented, it is doubtful that true repentance ever occurred no matter what the person claims. Real repentance begins with a decision to make an about-face and a change but its proof can be witnessed as one's outward conduct complies with that decision. By the way, getting back to what I was talking about, he said, if you were really growing in your walk with Christ, you'd get to a place where you don't want to drink, not because I can't do it, but because it's will harm other people. I may not have a problem with it, 
but what if the person that I'm around sees me doing it and they feel like, well, if he can do it, I can do it, but they don't have the tolerance that I have or they don't have uh, uh, the, uh, 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 the freedom that I have to do some things that won't affect me. And all of a sudden, I lead this person into doing something they should never have been doing. And so Paul says, hey, man, I can do whatever I want. I can, I, 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 all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial for you. So even though I'm free to eat meat, if it's going to harm you, and the topic of the day was vegetables or meat, you know, even though I'm free to eat meat, if it bothers you and it's something you can't do, then I'll never eat meat again. Because he wasn't concerned about Paul. He was concerned about the people he was reaching. And so that's what I'm saying. We, we oftentimes, well, I want, I want, I want, but that's what babies do. Ah, what's the food? Ah, what's the diaper change? Ah, I want to go to McDonald's. don't like what they're serving on Wednesday nights. I don't want new towel around the sanctuary. I'm just saying. Why are we having those struggles? Well, that's just proof that we're still immature in some areas of our life. Right? No, no. That's what I want. It's what I desire. There are other people that want the same thing. Did you know in the state of New Jersey, I know it feels like I'm going off on a rabbit trail, but I think there's a point to this. I hope I can find it. <laughs> Did you know in the state of New Jersey, when there were only two cars in the state of New Jersey, they got into an accident? <laughs> Did you know that if you were to go into church, you know that the Spirit of God works in the church, but the enemy tries to work in there too? And if you don't like something, there may be one other person in the church or two other people in the church that don't like something and you will find those people. Right? Every single time. And when you talk to them, it's like everybody feels the same. No. There's two or three people that feel the same way. It's just you found each other. And if you keep going that direction, there's going to be a wreck in the state of New Jersey again. All I'm saying is, we've got to grow up in how we live as a church. My desire is not to create an organization that people are, what good is it to have a bunch of people and we all act like infants? What good is it? No effect on the kingdom of God. What I want to do is I want you to grow. I want you to become all that God's called you to be. I want you to live life understanding who God is that lives inside of you and that we're on a mission. And did you know that if you are in a, in a group of, of warriors that have been sent on a mission, now all of a sudden these people that you had a problem with, they put aside their differences really fast because we're on a mission together and I've got to cover your back and you've got to cover mine. We better get things right. And the reason we're fighting all the time is because we forgot what our assignment was. If we recognize that we're on assignment and we are confronting an enemy together, then all of a sudden we begin to think that there's something greater than just what I want. I'm on a mission here of eternal consequences to bring the kingdom of God to bear in the life of the, in, in this world that I live in. And we need one another to do that.
So if we're going to do that, guess what? Not just non-believers need to repent, but believers need to repent. Repent of our selfishness. Our egotistical thinking. You're hearing what I'm saying? Real repentance begins with a decision to make an about-face of the change, but its proof can be witnessed as one's outward conduct complies with that decision. Repentance is God's requirement as presented by John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter, as well as other places in Scripture, too numerous to count. That means that a person cannot come to God and continue to live the way he did before he was a Christian. Cannot do it. Uh, I, I tell you these two stories all the time. You don't know who they are, but I tell you, I got saved. I mean, it doesn't mean I was perfect, had a lot of problems in life, right? But I was trying my best to live 100% for God. Got into legalism, in fact, I wanted so hard to live for God. But the reality is, I really wanted all that God had for me. And I, I, I was sitting at a party one time uh, uh, that my brothers had thrown. Unfortunately, uh, it was at my house. My brothers were not saved yet. And so they threw a party, and there's a guy in the backyard, another relative of mine, and he is witnessing to somebody about Jesus, which you would think is a good thing, but this guy had a 12-pack in front of him and was drunk as a skunk. Well, he's trying to tell people about Jesus. Well, how you live is just as important a testimony as what you say. Right? Now, I had another guy used to come to a church that I, not this one, another church that I pastored, and, and this guy uh, uh, loved hearing message, uh, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, and you know, people don't change overnight. This guy, uh, you know, used to be in the Merchant Marines and, and had a language that followed, you know? Uh, every four-letter word in the book, you could, it was just natural for him to talk that way. Well, you think, well, he, just got, he says he got saved, so obviously, you know, there's going to take a little time for that to change in his life. Well, after five or six years, you've got to wonder whether they got saved. <laughs> there has to be fruit. Something has to change. Now, and truthfully, we cannot change ourselves. We cannot earn salvation we are invited to come to God just as we are to receive God's gracious gift of salvation. By grace are you saved through faith. It's a work that God does. However, God does not expect us to remain the way we are. He expects change. And that is what repentance is all about. With godly repentance, there must be an abandonment of our past and a complete and absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Evidenced by our living according to God's righteous standard as you grow in your walk with god the holy spirit will continue to reveal things in your life that need to change when he opens your eyes to those things that are displeasing to him because we have an incredible capacity to lie to ourselves i know I had issues in my own life. We won't get into what those are, but I had issues in my own life. And I'm pastoring a church, and I'm preaching, and then I went through an incredible, uh, uh, difficult period, and I began to realize, hey, I got sin in my life. I got to deal with it. I got to get rid of this stuff. Well, how did you do that? How could you do that? I was blind. But when, 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 I, when, you, when you experience enough pain, all of a sudden the eyes are open. God, what am I doing wrong? Finally, you're asking me, let me show you. This is what you're doing wrong in my life. So what do you do when God shows what you're doing wrong in your life? You repent. You can't change your life. No, but God can. Create in me a clean heart. 
and renew a right spirit within me. A broken and contrite heart I will not despise. And if you come before the Lord, whatever it takes to get you there, and you realize, and you're being convicted, and you realize what I'm doing is wrong, and if you come before God with an open and contrite heart, I'm telling you that's where God meets you, and it's not about what you can do, it's about what he can do. Maybe you're that person that's, you're not walking right. That's what that big toe is about. Without your big toe, you can't walk. It's hurt, it's painful. You're not walking right. You're walking, but it's painful to you and painful to those around you. God can heal that thing in your life. I'm not talking about your toe, I'm talking about your life. As you grow in your walk with God, the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal things in your life that need to change. When he opens those eyes to things that are displeasing to him, we must be willing to repent, to make an intelligent, intellectual decision, to adjust your thinking and behavior, to conform to God's ways. It is a conscious choice. Will you remain obstinate in your attitude and resist God's requirement to change or humbly bow before his holiness and adjust your thinking and behavior to get in agreement with him and his word? Not my word, his word. James 4 and 7, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourself to God. Then you can resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I'm trying to get you to, to understand is the message has not changed. I believe in grace. I do. If somebody calls me a grace teacher, I say thank you very much. Because I am. But my definition of grace is not always the same. Grace is the empowerment of God, not for you to continue to sin, but it's the empowerment of God for you to live life for Him by not sinning. Depends on how you define it. If you define grace as God just giving you something you didn't deserve, and because I have grace, it doesn't matter what I do or where I go, I can continue to do the same thing. There's no repentance there. Repentance says, I need to change. Grace empowers you to change. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The message hasn't changed. And again, I go back to that scripture. Jesus said to those that would follow him, the, the, um, you know, he said, uh, Matthew 16, 24, he that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross. You know what that means? You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to die to your life to embrace God's life. And follow, not lead, but follow after me. And that's Jesus talking. The message hasn't changed. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the first step to entering in is to repent. Now the question remains, and the ball is in your court, what will you do?